Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. This morning I'm going to have to build a case to get to the point I believe that's at the heart of this message, which is having to do with praying for a heart of wisdom. I need to start by acknowledging that Psalm 90 is unique for most other the psalms written in the Bible, 150 of them, it's unique in two ways. First, because of the author. Psalm 90 is written by Moses. Whereas the other psalms, most of them are written by David and another musician by the name of Asaph. But Moses starts off in Psalm 90 calling himself not a musician, not a king, but just simply a man of God. The second reason that Psalm 90 is unique is because it's not a song like most of the other 150 are. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. And the background of this writing is believed to be at a time that God had delivered his people from 300, excuse me, 430 years of Egyptian bondage and slavery. And for those of us that have been involved in faith development or reading the, reading the standard Sunday school lesson, you ought to be familiar with this because that's where we are now in the book of Exodus talking about that. Moses was uh, told after giving this impossible assignment to bring the people to the mount of God. And there they would be given the law of God, teaching them how to live as God's people in this new land that he's promised them. But it's sad to say that God's people disobedience, their rebellion, and their lack of trust incurred the wrath of God. Now you might ask, what what all this got to do with Psalm 90? To make it clearer for us, I think examining two background scriptures will answer that question. The first background scripture is found in Deuteronomy. We find Moses at the banks of Jordan River reflecting on events that happened 38 years ago. God's people were in the same place, only 11 to 20 miles from the promised land. And I want to stop right there just for a minute because a long time in our life, We don't get it right the first time. We'll try to circumvent God's will and his word, but then we'll find ourselves sometime later in the same place. Let me put it this way. Some of the problems we're trying to resolve with, as Jeff put it, with earthly wisdom don't work. And years later, we're at the same place seeking God's wisdom. So here they are. Born this Kaish, uh, I believe, is the place. Some people say 16 miles to the promised land. When something happened 
that changed their course of history. And I want you to go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 20. Keep in mind that Moses here, Deuteronomy's second law, he's gone through this thing, it's, it's, it's 40 years altogether all told, and he's reminding these people of something that happened. Verse 20 says, I said to you, you've come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord, your, our God, is about to give you. See, in other words, look at this land. The Lord, your God, has placed the land before you. Go up and possess it. Take possession as the Lord, your God, of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be dismayed. That's pretty clear, ain't it? I brought you this place, brought you out, out of bondage. Here you are, there's the land, go get it. Verse 22. Then, and I'm going to put an emphasis on that. Then all of you, this is Moses talking about the people, approached me and said, let us send men before us. That we may search out the land for us. For who? For us. And bring back to us worry of the way by which we should go and the cities which we shall enter. Now, I mean, verse 20 and verse 22 don't match. God told you, there it is, go take it, go get it. God had assured them of victory, but they want to verify what God had already told them. Somebody got that? It's written in his word, but you want to verify. Everybody ain't Gideon. Everybody can't be asking for the fleece. Everybody can't be asking for snow. If it's in his word, it's in his word. Ends, no, it's what's about it. And there ain't no debate. But look at verse 26 of Deuteronomy 1, what Moses said. Yet you were not willing to go up. What? But no one said, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. That ain't bad enough. Read verse 27. And you grumbled in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. I want you to remember this, what they said. They said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of Amorite to destroy us. What sense did that make? If you believe that God's all-powerful and sovereign, if God wanted to destroy you, he didn't have to get you out of Egypt. He destroyed you right there. <laughs> but, 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 but they made this comment. They spoke words out of their mouth. Are y'all listening to me? We need to be careful when we speak certain things because they're going to come back and get you. Y'all going to see. Hold on. You know what the people did? They actually accused God of plotting to destroy them. Even after the victory at the Red Sea. I mean, here we come. We come down there and water splits. Walls on one side. You walk through on dry land. Even after 
defeating two kings and two nations that was much stronger than they, full of giants, by the way. The people continued to rebel and display a lack of trust in God. How many times God's got to deliver y'all? How many times God's got to prove himself to you? And yet you still show me God. You know what? Their action proved what they really thought of God. Their low opinion of God had disastrous consequences. That's why our second background scripture comes there in the book of Numbers. It records God's reaction to their action. Numbers chapter 14, verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron and said, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I've heard the complaints of the son of Israel, meaning their church folk, which they make against me. Can I stop right here for a minute? Because see, these people thought they were talking about Moses. They, were, they thought they were complaining against Moses, but God took it personally. Some, some, somebody get that. Somebody get that. Moses called himself a man of God. The people complained against the man of God. But God took it personally. No, oh, oh, oh. Y'all with me? Y'all remember what I told you? Remember what they said? Listen to this. Verse 28. Say to them, as I live, said the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing. What did they speak? God brought us out here to destroy us. No one knows what he said now. Just as you have spoken in my hearing, so will I surely do to you. So a lot of times we be blaming God. We even blame the devil for stuff that's our fault and is coming right back to get us. Your dead bodies or your corpses will fall in this wilderness even at even all your numbers of men according to complete number from 20 years old at upward who have grumbled against me. Right there, there will stop a lot of us from complaining. We are some of the most complaining people, Dave Wilcoxon, about certain things that happen or don't happen. We, we say we're content in all that God has done, but yet we are talking about it all the time. And God is saying, you really don't trust me. You really have a low opinion of me. <laughs> the people rejected that God wanted to give them and as a result of that, they had to suffer the consequences of their own choices instead. Now, here's the connection with Psalm 9. As a result of the people's response to God's accusation, they began to die. Remember, now they spoke it. You brought us out here to kill us. And God says, since you said that I am. Y'all better watch what you say. 
We don't know for sure, but it's estimated between 600,000 and 200, excuse me, 2 million men died in the next 40 years. Even at that lowest number of 600,000, in 40 years, if you do the math, you'll find out there was probably 41 funerals a day. I remember the time I had to go to two. 41 funerals a day. And I want you to think about something. Here's the connection now. We're getting there. The Hebrew people grieving process for their dead was very intense and emotional. Even today, it still is. They were hired people to cry. And these people are not actors. They really enter into the fellowship of people suffering when someone is dying. And you talking about 41 funerals a day. Can you imagine how Moses felt? Attending all of these funerals. Crying all day. They must have had mass funerals at one time. In order for him to get through this. But Moses attended a lot of funerals of people much younger than he. And I believe that it was a period of mourning. David saw, excuse me, Moses saw a solitude place. And he prayed this prayer that's penned in Psalm 90. Now let's look at the psalm. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. For the mountains were brought forth. Or even ever you have formed earth and the world. From everlasting, you are God. Moses is talking about before the world was created, you were still there. Now, breaking this down, Moses started his prayer with acknowledging the safety and security of the Lord. He uses the word, now normally you'll see the word Lord capitalized all four letters, but when it's not, it's usually Adonai. Now, the word Adonai is God's personal name. It can be rendered in all the years as husband or father. Both have the responsibility for caring for their children or their wives. So Moses acknowledged, Lord, I know you care. I know you're concerned. Even though I see all these people die, I know you're concerned. And then he used the term dwelling place, which implies refuge. It's a shelter in a time of a storm. That even when I'm going through, I got some place to go. I'm crying, I'm hurting, but I still got some place to go. I want you to imagine yourself in a hurricane or, or a tornado, but you have a shelter. You have a tornado shelter. Even though the wind and waves are still going on, you feel confident because you ain't right there in the element. This is what Moses is implying. Generation is a span of time. Oftentimes we look at it as 40 years, 
but it's any span of time. And the phrase everlasting to everlasting is a reminder of God's care and concern beyond any amount of time and any situation. Yeah, the storms may roar. The winds may rain. People, in this case, may die. But before time, God, you was there. You showed me you care in the past, and I know you care now. But Moses also had to acknowledge that God is sovereign. His holiness demands punishment for those who openly rebelled against him. Remember back? Rebellion is sin, and sin carries the death penalty. So he says in verse 3, you re return man to the dust and say, return, O children of man. I remember there's a song that when God calls, I got the answer. A lot of times people never thought about when God calls, he's calling you from life to eternity. Here Moses acknowledged that God controls life and death. And with one single word, that breath of life that he breathed into us will return to him. And you will cease to exist. Moses goes on and says, for a thousand years in your sight, a buddy yesterday, when it's past, or is a watch of night. Forty-one people dying a day. Those saying you're falling like flies. But here Moses contrasts the infinite God with finite man. Those two words means limit or lack of. God has no limits, no boundaries. Human life has limit, and we are bound by time. I want you to get that now. We are bound by time. Everybody in here has a birthday, and you probably know your birthday. But you don't know your death day. But you don't look forward to that death day with great anticipation. But you know it's coming. As I get older, I realize that I ain't 10 no more. I'm approaching that time that I will be no more. But God's not like that. Look, look, look at verse 4 for for, for a thousand years in your sight, but yesterday, when it passed, as a watch in the night. <laughs> watch in the night. Hebrews had somebody always watching for the enemy. Normally you would have, I know in the military, we'd have two hours, maybe four hours of watch. But then when your period of watch was over, it was over. And the same is true of life. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes. It's renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. 
I can remember that one time in my life it was morning. Oh, getting out of bed was no problem. Unless I was didn't get enough sleep, but uh, I could jump out. Now I roll up. <laughs> it's evening time for some of us. Moses speaks of the brevity and the uncertainty of life. Powerful floods can come suddenly and wipe all that's in his path. A dream is something happened when we are unaware of reality. How many of y'all have had these good dreams and then you wake up, you get disappointed? You ain't going to dream forever. And likewise, you ain't going to live forever. Grass existence is totally subjected to the season, to elements, and to time. But then Moses, remember why he's praying. People are dying. And he realized he can't get mad with God like some people do. I hate that term, God don't make no mistakes. That is a given. We don't even need to say that. But sometimes people be using stuff like that. God knows best as an excuse because we ain't satisfied with what God did. So Moses now acknowledged that God, you got a right to be mad. You got a right to be mad. Verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before us and our secret sins in the light of your presence. That's the problem with the world. I know what Jeff was talking about in his, in, 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 in his ministry focus. We want to justify a mess sometimes. We're in a society, and this is part of the problem next Sunday's sermon, that what we're trying to justify things that God has said is sin. And God ain't pleased. God's anger, his wrath, and his judgment is a response to man's sin. Now, now, now here, here, here's what I was talking about, about society today. See, the Hebrew verb for iniquity means to bend, to twist, or to deviate from the way. We, we have, even in our government, we have bent and twisted God's law. In society, even in the church, we have deviated from the way, or let me put it this way, from the word. The noun form of this word has the idea of moral twisting, immorality. It can be rendered crooked behavior or perversion. Some of the things that we just totally accept now ain't no more than just perversion. But we think, as we act as if God don't see it. 
See, it says the, 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 in the, in the secret says in the light of your presence. You ever thought about why most sins are committed at night? And the Bible says we, we do things in the night as if God can't see. Verse 9, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sign. The years of our lives are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. And we fly away. Young people, there's no such thing as the age of accountability. As soon as you know it's wrong, it's sin. God has allotted every person a designated timeline. Yet in his sovereignty, if he chooses to do so, he can adjust it up or down. The point is this. Life has limitations. But no matter how long you live, because of sin, no life is going to be without toils or trouble. Then we breathe our last breath. And that's the sigh. That's what it means, the last breath. Then we die. King James translates this as a tale that is told. I'm old enough to remember movies when you knew when they were in there. Because at the end, the hero would be riding away in the west, and the scroll would come down the end. So what he's saying, that's where our life is. One day in your life, the heavenly screen is going to put down there the end. I want to bring out another point about this message. Death is not limited to age. In our text, said God said everyone 21 years or older will die in the wilderness. We cannot make the assumption that a person that was 20 years old lived to be 60. Because of four years. Some died at 21. Some died at 22. Some died at 23, some died at 24, some died at 25. Moses continued with the anger of God. He says in verse 11, who can consider the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? In other words, what the people said to God, you're going to kill us. I mean, he had just delivered these people. Red Sea, Og, and, and the other king fed them from heaven, war from rock, and you going to say, I'm going to kill you? God was upset. He was angry. And, and Moses said, we can't, we can't even fathom how mad you was. The Hebrew word for anger really means nose flaring. Wrath is an outburst of holy passion. Can I give you an example? It's like a faithful spouse who works 
who brings money, who does everything they can, come home one day and find some bum in the bed with their spouse. They even got it on the books. Crime of passion. They give people less time for crime of passion. This is what this picture is here. God is really upset. And knowing how angry God was, Moses made special requests in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Moses didn't want to lose sight of what was important. Now the heart implies the seat of emotion. Your intellect, your will, your desire. Moses was requesting for a wise heart to use every day for God's glory. This message is for all of us this morning. It teaches us that we need to learn how to pray for wisdom. Something as simple as this is what needs to come off our mouth every day. Lord, give us grace to consider how few our days are on earth. Help us to realize how little time we have to live in this world. As I begin to close, I want you to think about something. Number our days. You do the math. How many days of your life do you really devote to the Lord? Yet you want him to be a 365, 24-7 supply and healer. How many days of your life do you give in Christian service? Yet you want him to be your 911 operator in time of emergency. The Apostle Paul provided us an insight on human life by comparing our bodies to a house. He says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 1, For we know that when this earthly tent, notice he said when, we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we have a house in heaven, eternal body for us by God made himself or made not made with human hands. Newsflash. I know you got some dreams. No matter how expensive your house is, no matter how well your house is made, it will eventually need repair. Floods Wind, fire, insect, rodent can destroy any house. This is why most of us who own houses know it's wise to have house insurance. But Jesus tells us how to get house assurance. Matthew 7, verse 24 and 25. Therefore, Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a what? Wise man who built his house on, notice, the rock. And the rain descended, and the flood came, 
and the wind blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall. Why? For it was founded. It's not wise to put God on the back burner and expect him to be your first responder. It's not wise to use up most of your good years for the devil and expect God to extend your time, renew your strength when you decide you want to serve him. It's not wise to complete your bucket list and then kick the bucket before you receive the Lord. You do the math. What does it benefit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? You do the math. You count your days. You ask God for a heart of wisdom. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.